Hey there, everybody. My name is Max Gomez, and you are listening to the first ever episode of Misinformed, the newest member of the Miss Radio podcast family, where I am going to try and bring you every other Friday all of the different campus leaders, movers, shakers, creators who are defining life on our institute's campus. said there in the intro i am so excited to bring you the first ever episode of misinformed pun intended where i am just going to try and bring on as many different people from campus to talk about what's going on because my gosh is there a lot of it and i know how hard it can be to try and keep up with all of it especially during the pandemic when we're all separated and doing things in a much more isolated way and missing out on all the awesome things happening even though we are even though we're living virtually so to help me ring in this inaugural episode and help me set the stage for everything that this podcast can be a platform for, whether it be students, faculty, staff, anybody who has something to share about what's happening on our Miss campus and our Miss community that everybody should know about, I have three incredible guests who I was so happy to have come on the podcast. First off is Aiko Gonzalez, Communications Director for the Student Council, who is going to talk a bit about what Student Council has been up to, what they're planning. Next up is Lawrence Garber, President of the Queers and Allies at Miss Club, to talk about what makes their club so special. And last but not least, I have JDJ himself, who came to chat with me about the pandemic response saga of the Middlebury Institute and some really exciting and and hopeful plans that we've got coming up for us this spring semester. Aiko, thank you so much for joining me and and coming here to chat about what Student Council has been up to and what they're doing. Uh, So before I introduce you too much myself, why don't you go ahead and and, uh, take that over for me? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Max. Thank you for the invite. I am Aiko Gonzalez. I'm the communications director for the Miss Student Council. And so I I wear kind of different hats there. Uh, As communications director, I perceive my role uh, to be one of fostering communication and transparency between student council and the student community at large and providing those different avenues of communication that can help foster that sense of community between student council and the wider Miss community. Awesome. Love that. What, uh, what, what's been your favorite part of serving in that role? I mean, I guess, you know, what drew you to it and, and what do you like about it? Well, um, student government and shared governance has always been kind of a part of me. Uh, I started community college. I did the ground roots movement. I did community college, then university, then mm-hmm. now here. Uh, and all along the way, uh, I've learned different lessons and how important it is to be involved. Um, and so what drew me specifically to MISS and student council in that regard is kind of the international community and the emphasis that's put there and kind of that intersectionality and how students have this powerful voice and fostering it. Uh, and so for me, uh, I was drawn to student council in this role particularly just because I really, really love creating. And I felt like this was kind of a space where I can create 
uh, spaces where people can foster those dialogues. And so, plus also too, like I have a graphic design background. So like the whole uh, marketing aspect uh-huh. is just kind of like, yes, I'm gonna do, <laughs> do some things here. And that's been, yeah, that's been very worthwhile. Like the semester we like launched our Instagram page and that's been going off um, as well as too, is um, trying to foster that community on my community as well, mm-hmm. which is a, still a new platform to me mm-hmm. that I'm still trying to learn. And so, but yeah, it's been very enjoyable so far. I've really enjoyed it. So we'll get in uh, to what the student council at large has been yeah. up to in just a moment, but what are some of the things that you specifically have been working on? Um, me specifically, um, Instagram's been one. Um, that was actually originally started by our president, by Madeline. And then I came on board and been trying to see of different ways that we can kind of market it and get students to follow. And ha- hopefully this semester get some uh, collaborations off the ground and do some students hosting and student takeovers. Uh, and then uh, another thing has been uh, the student, um, the Stuco Flow, as we call it, mm-hmm. which is a biweekly newsletter. And so that serves kind of as a communications portal for kind of giving updates of like, this is what Stuco is doing in regards to also like program reps, but also a way to, to kind of give the voice of saying, these are what some club events that are happening. These are some events that are happening at large. And the whole idea behind it was the root of transparency. So like having in that re- and having that theme in mind, uh, we've definitely have the hope of like using this communication as being a way of where students know what's happening and where well as at the same time not over over um what do you call it over not overburdening but uh <laughs> like kind of burnout. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a lot of emails. I was yes. like, what word am I looking yes, for? Do. There's there's a lot of emails that get passed through. And like, I know for me, myself, I cannot read all of the emails I receive in a day. And so the idea behind the Stuco flow was that let's do it in this very simplistic way of where it's like, they know what's going on. And like, we have transparency in mind, but mm-hmm. at the same time, not doing that over stimulus of being all of this massive text to read. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, for me, so. myself, that's what I've been working on. <laughs> yeah. So you are the one behind those emails, which I will say, I do love the design on them. Gotta... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and like, I put a lot of thought into kind of saying like visually, how is this yes. going to flow? <laughs> yeah. So, I think everything you described about it makes a lot of sense because those, those are not emails that I fear, you know, I'm not looking <laughs> yeah. at it like, oh my God, I got to digest all this info. It's like, it's laid yeah. out very well. I like that. And, you know, for that reason, I'm also so excited to have you here for the first episode of this podcast because it sounds like your goal for what you're doing with Stuco Flow is very similar to what I'm trying to do here with Miss Radio and, and Misinformed, um, just to kind of give the student body a, another way to digest this information mm-hmm. oh, that's yeah. not another email, you know, to, to exactly. just hear about what's going on on campus. Yeah. So we talked about the things that you've been working on, but what mm-hmm. has Stuco at large, what were you all getting up to last semester? Uh, a lot of things happened last semester. <laughs> the, I think the, the main priority has been um, the DEI advocacy work. Mm-hmm. So Stuco is hyper-focused in uh, tangible results uh, while keeping student needs and concerns a priority. So this past year, like just historically has been kind of an intersection where you have the BLM movement uh, mm-hmm. and, as well as like, white supremacy like being confronted where people mm-hmm. are like standing up and saying like and that's enough and so we saw that with miss students expressing their concerns and frustration and stuco took it seriously and, and moved forward with those actionable items and so in this way uh, i see it as stuco moving from a talking phase to an action oriented mm-hmm. advocacy phase 
So this year in regards to DEI work. And mm -hmm. so much of that work is actually credited to two groups uh, that I would say. First would be the student involvement. Uh, we saw this year that that there was a lot of students that got involved and inherently the student council mission is one of advocacy. So to be advocates of the student's voice, opinion and perspective within that greater shared governance uh, that processes here at MIST uh, and also to encourage students at MIST to become those campus leaders. Uh, secondly, uh, the program representatives. So mm -hmm. program representatives were very hyper aware of the student needs in, in our first virtual semester, actually, this is kind of yeah. our first like full online, like not transitioning yeah. over. Uh, and they, they really like stepped up. They hosted office hours, study hours, happy hours, like all virtually and tried to figure out how to foster that community engagement uh, during this time when we're all so physically apart. So in that line of thought, uh, Stuco is working with administration to ensure accessibility to resources. We've upped our communications, you know, with that transparency focus. All our meetings are recorded and they're hosted on Panopto as open records, so students can go through and look at those. Uh, we and of course we started Stuco Flow, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that that was another avenue for us to kind of make sure that you know we had that transparency in mind students are in the know and actually in and also know how they can get involved too as well um so that's kind of where we've been at so far coming into this semester mm. <laughs> now is we have similar things on the docket as last semester but we've also tacked on more so i would say the first and foremost has been fostering that miscommunity. Mm -hmm. Last semester was definitely kind of a trial and error, seeing like this worked, this didn't yeah. work. Uh, we got no one to attend this. <laughs> and so uh, this semester, we really hope to hit the ground running and trying to jumpstart that sense of community. Secondly, uh, different committees and partnerships are underway. So mm -hmm. for example, the, the ISC, which is the International Student Committee, Yes. Uh, is ramping up the semester. I'm very excited to see those. The hope yeah. is uh, to include more voices, especially from our international students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've been hearing a bit more about that in the last few weeks. Yeah, uh, And I was just unsure if I had just never heard of this committee before yeah. or if that really was a new thing. So it is new. Yeah. So and like has been and like it has been around. Like it's oh, okay. established in the constitution. Mm -hmm. I think it's just more of like this year. We definitely want to highlight it more because us being so virtual and us being so physically apart, um, we feel that it, it's kind of we've kind of missed our our international students as far as their voices and concerns. Yeah. And I know, especially too, like considering that all of our just our class times alone, our meetings are Pacific Standard Time, like. That's yeah. not always the best thing for our international mm -hmm. students. And so we've definitely wanted to highlight that focus more and get more students involved there. Yeah. Uh, another thing, too, has been the DEI task force. Mm -hmm. So that's continuing the work that was started last semester. Um, it's going into this semester. And so they're working on a lot of DEI events and uh, collaboration there with, with campus community. Yeah. So DEI task force, mm -hmm. is that a project of... Uh, student council because I think my understanding of it was that it was kind of a separate thing that was going to go off and yeah yeah it, it, it yeah originally I'm like we have the DEI committee and that's still a thing that's part, uh, part of student council and then mm -hmm. out of that and the and the events that happened of last semester right. we had the DEI task force and so that's kind of now branched off into kind of been now the, now part of more of that shared governance aspect yeah, so now yeah. there's the DEI task force has students involved faculty administration 
all with mm-hmm. the hopes of coming together and creating you know, something new in regards to our DEI work on campus. Yeah. Now, is that uh, the things that they will be working on in that task force? Is that something that we'll be able to stay updated on, like through Stuco Flow? Or what's yeah. the transparency planned for that? Yeah, the transparency plan for that one is definitely like we definitely want to get like updated reports. We have mm-hmm. DEI committee members um, that are on the DEI task force. So in regards to that, when reports come in, that will definitely be something that we definitely want to keep our community up to date on. And those will be in Stuco Flow as well. Mm-hmm. Another thing has been uh, the Health and Wellness Committee. Uh, so shout out to Allison. Allison Silverstein's <laughs> really taken that on and she's brought a lot of passion to that position. So I personally look forward to some of the events that she has. So like last yeah. semester she did some, she did a, um, a, a kind of gratitude wall over Thanksgiving last semester. And that was just really cool to see. Like mm-hmm. everyone just kind of posts and kind of build community over that over this time of like us being so physically apart. Yeah. And then most recently, uh, we built a partnership between the Sustainability Council and and Student Council to kind Mm. of create the sustainability lens moving forward. So the hope is to foster this kind of cross collaboration between the two councils. So that's something that's new and that's exciting too as well. So I actually have a a bit of a more specific question that you may or may not be able to speak to is um, I noticed that there was a, a Middlebury collaboration position which I believe is yes. a part of the executive council. I think that's, that's yes. Julius. Yes. Yes. that's Julius. What is some of the work that he works on? That's something that I've been curious about. Yeah. Uh, so that position is kind of a cross collaboration uh, between Middlebury. Mm-hmm. So that's Middlebury Vermont campus yeah. and the Miss campus. And so the hope there is to kind of see between the differences between our two campuses and how we can come together as a community. So mm-hmm. as far as like, for instance, just re- with, within DEI of being like, what are some of the things that Middlebury, Middlebury Vermont is doing and what's working mm-hmm. for them and what's not, what are some things that we can lessons we can learn from that? And what are some resources that we can share across the board? Yeah. So that's kind of where Julius has been going with that as far as being, this is what we're doing. This is what they're doing, but Hey, let's talk to one another. Let's exchange some plans and see what works. Yeah. Very cool. So now there is, I believe, one other new committee on the council that will likely be actively recruiting some committee members at the time of this release. Can you speak to that one a little bit? <laughs> You're going to be engaging committee. I was like, is it going to be housing or is it going to be community engagement? <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I was like, that's very true. I'm really excited for the community engagement committee. Uh, like mm-hmm. uh, last semester, unfortunately, that position opened up um, midway through the semester. So it was definitely missed um, mm-hmm. as far as trying to create a sense of community and community events. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that one. I know with my permission, with my position being you know, director of communications, I know I'm going to be mm-hmm. working very closely with that committee and helping yes. promote events and seeing how we can come up with some fun things this semester. Yeah, so this is the part where where me as the misinformed host has to really come clean and say, this is a <laughs> yeah. bit of state-sponsored media here. <laughs> that I, I am the new community engagement officer. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm super excited to get to work with the student council and with Catherine and Cynthia, who are currently mm-hmm. my committee members and uh, and anybody hearing this who'd like to join, please come join me. Yeah. So with that, well, that's, that's about all the stuff. I mean, you really, I think, hit questions that I hadn't even asked. So, so that answers everything that I wanted to ask you today. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention that's coming up, not before the 29th, <laughs> before the <laughs> or 29th, any sort of projects it. that you've heard float around <laughs> that maybe it's not a concrete idea yet, but that you're really excited for? Mm-hmm. 
I'll see that we're really excited for. Oh, oh my wow! I'm like, there's still a lot of things that we're they're still underway. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, the one thing that comes to mind is um, funding. So, uh, and what I mean is, is that last semester, uh, student council created a disaster relief fund mm-hmm. um, out of our out of our budget. And so, coming into this semester, we're really like advocating for that, and it's aimed for students who aren't being impacted by COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's um, there's a funding, um, there's a funding uh, form for you to fill out there. And so that's something that we're definitely pushing because like we have the budget set aside for yeah. it. And so we definitely want to see students who are in need and like who are being impacted by COVID-19 or uh, kind of access to have access to that disaster relief fund. Yeah, that's wonderful. Where would somebody go to uh, to find that form? Uh, there is a Google form that's available. Um, online uh, mm-hmm. but however uh however uh you can definitely um uh send your inquiries uh and contact us at student council at miss.edu yeah so that will rolls right into my last thing which is if, if somebody wants to get in touch with student council mm-hmm. what are some of the things that somebody can reach out for first of all and and if they'd like to where where should they go yeah, as they, if they're interested in joining the committee, uh, there's committees that are definitely looking for membership. Uh, if they definitely want to um, get in, see other ways of how they can get involved, um, you can definitely like email us, uh, reach out to us through there, also through my community as well. We have our Instagram page, follow us, so you can keep updated there. Um, and then also to just simply attend meetings. <laughs> like we really, really love it when students attend. And you know, and and you can definitely send in uh, if you want to like speak to the speak to student council, like as far as the concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can definitely like email us in advance, and we can have you there on the agenda. Uh, and yeah, just just come and talk with us. <laughs> I think also too um, this this semester, I believe um, uh, our president and vice president, so Madeline and Lincoln, are still planning on doing their office hours. So like last oh, okay. semester, they did kind of lunch hour with president and vice yeah. president. And I know that was very well attended towards the end there. And so that's another hope to continue of like, you know, come speak with us. You know, mm-hmm. we, we we're here to serve you. And so definitely it's like, come, come talk to us. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So plenty of ways to get in touch with student council. We love that. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, Aiko, thank you so much for coming on the first episode of Misinformed. And I definitely think this will not be the last time we'll be hearing from you. Okay. Thank you for the invite. (laughs) Absolutely. Lawrence, thanks so much for agreeing to meet with me here today and talk a little bit about Qualm. Thank you for having me, Max. Lovely to be here. And, uh, you know, before we get started, uh, I did want to say congrats on your club competition win. I think it was, was it best club collab with uh, the art club, right? Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think it's a humble brag here. Well, I don't know. I guess it is a competition so I can be competitive. This is me. Like I'm not the most competitive person, but anyway, Quam has won like four semesters in a row, maybe five. I don't know. We don't like have a tally. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, one of the reasons I asked you to come on and uh, be one of our first guests for the first episode is because, uh, you know, I want to set the stage for, for club leaders to come and talk about the things they're doing in their clubs. And I, you know, I see Quam, Quam, Quam. Either one. The record was set straight last year. It can be pronounced Quam or Quam, set from the founder, Dion Daniels. Um. <laughs> you know, it, it appears to me to be 
one of the most prevalent clubs and uh you know hearing what a storied you know decorated history recent history at least it has i mean i feel very validated in that belief so that was actually really one of the things i wanted to ask you about first um from your perspective what are some things about your club that you think make it such a such a force when it comes to clubs on campus you know i really feel like i saw you guys around a whole lot um yeah that's a that's a good question i think it stems from the you know really just the passion and dedication of the leadership team um i think that uh you know obviously clubs are you know it's an extracurricular activity it's kind of like um, an extra thing that we do but i found that for me personally being able to put energy into you know designing um, events and just trying to create community on campus was a really just you know, powerful place to put my energy, particularly I'm thinking about, you know, how challenging it's been to transition to the remote environment, not to mention just everything going on in the world outside of school. So it's been just a nice little, nice little family, a nice little place to, um, to come together in community. And I mean, just one of the greatest things about the queer community in general is that you know, no matter who you are or like, like the queer community trans transcends so many types of boundaries that um, Quam can really just be for everybody. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's like, you know, clubs are sort of like little interests, you know, folks who are interested in similar things, but with Quam, it's like, um, are you queer or are you an ally? And then, mm-hmm. and then we love you and come on in. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that was, um, you know, one of my favorite graduation events that I went to was the Lavender graduation. There's just the the love present in that was just so, I felt so grateful to be, you know, there for that. Yeah, that no, happening. thanks for saying that. It's, that was, yeah, definitely one of the, those like doses of warm fuzzies that you're like, oh shit, I didn't, I didn't realize I needed this until you get it. And you're like, wow, um, mm-hmm. you know, here we were just like buckled down and focused on the all the academic things of the semester. And then it's kind of just like a nice place to, you know, recognize others and be recognized and realize that we need that from time to time. (laughs) So you kind of just touched on this a moment ago, but one of the things that I was wondering as I was like, well, oh yeah, Quam is is definitely one of the most present clubs on campus, but I had the realization, well, maybe they were just one of the clubs that had the best, the easiest time transitioning or the most innovative ways to transition to virtual. Although you've said you've won four semesters in a row so it's clear even when we were in person you were still one of the most present but but that being said I you know I do want to hear a little bit about what was it like to to transition to doing things virtually and and how you found that was it really hard or did you find it not not actually so difficult to to continue to be innovative with your events gosh yeah um it feels like a whirlwind to even think back on like mid-march um I think we definitely had to you know, there was a conversation that we had about, and it was ongoing. It was like, you know, a lot of trial and error. Obviously this was, this was our first global pandemic and and recent, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so (laughs) none of us had done this before, but I mean, I think like for me, Eric Mora really was somebody who was really helpful in like guiding the question of like, okay, so we can do an event, but is it really going to translate well online? 
And if mm -hmm. so, um, or if not, like maybe let's try to think about something that will. So to the extent to which we were successful in that, I mean, it was a lot of just putting stuff out there and, and um, seeing what stuck. So Netflix parties, like I knew about that. So I was like, oh, like that sounds fun. Let's do, you know, let's do Netflix party. And then some of the other events that Clam had done in the past, like for example, Queers and Careers was something that had been done in person mm -hmm. and you know, some sort of like panel or kind of like a one, like a conversations like that lend themselves to Zoom pretty well. So um, I think that's where we were able to do kind of keep the queers and careers thing going. And then Lavender Grad actually only happened because of the pandemic. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, the, so the May 2021 was the first time, to my knowledge, that Miss had has done one. And um, yeah, so it, it had never been never been done and I think the idea to to create a space for graduates and celebrate the the QAM graduates was it I don't know you know I don't think it would have been done if, if we hadn't been for the pandemic so yeah it sounds like that's definitely something you'll be trying to keep up once we revert back to in person as well then yeah yeah I hope so totally yeah. um I think now that we've done it it's like how could you not because they're so yeah. they're so nice yeah so We've talked about a couple of the things that you you did last semester already, but I was wondering if there was any one event or one project that you took on, that your club took on, that you are most proud of. Hmm, that's a good question. Let's see. I mean, I definitely think Lavender Graduation, we've, we've been talking about that. I really think of the word pride. I, you know, did really feel like in my heart, super proud that mm -hmm. we were able to make Lavender Graduation happen again. But another, another thing I definitely feel proud about was the collaboration that we were able to do with well, we were able to collaborate with a bunch of clubs last semester but when we worked with um wise at miss to make queers and careers happen mm -hmm. those were just really cool because it showed to me showed the the power of being online you know for all the ways that it sucks in many ways to be like just in the pandemic life in general you know the isolation and things like that mm -hmm. but um we were able to bring in some really amazing speakers from around the country, you know, which never would have, I guess I can't say never would have happened because Zoom existed pre-pandemic, but you know, the life, the, just our ability to uh, bring in just a really cool panel for queers and careers. I was, I was super proud of that. Yeah. I think that as, as easy for us as it is to get tied up in, in our Zoom burnout and how much, how draining it is to, to constantly be in these um, Zoom calls that there are some really awesome things that happened just because of it, as you've mentioned a few of them. Um, and that sort of like virtual collaboration that once we can go back in person, I hope we'll still be open to. Yeah. So we can continue to do things like that, panels like that, that I think if somebody heard of a virtual panel like three, four years ago happening, you would be maybe less interested in it. But but yeah. after all of this, that maybe we're like, oh yeah, totally. I mean, because I remember that year where that was all we did, so. Yeah, no, we've. I was actually just thinking about this that this morning of how like, the generation of kids who are going through online learning and how that's going to be just such a fundamental part of their childhoods and like mm -hmm. we could have a whole podcast about talking about the ripple effects of the, <laughs> yeah. like the social implications of the pandemic but i mean yeah, i just had that thought this morning i was like dang what's what's going to be the little like what are going to be the spin-off effects of of this and like you know i think just the definition of the word normal, I think, has changed in so many ways too. Mm -hmm. Of like, also, you know, thinking about like normal for who and 
you know, we could get into, you know, there's obviously questions around social justice that come up with normalcy and mm -hmm. all these, you know, again, whole nother podcast episode. Oh, yeah. Here, <laughs> so we've, we've looked back on last semester. So now I want to know if there's anything coming up this semester that you are really looking forward to any projects, you know, you guys are going to be working on that you're super excited about. Yeah, totally. We, um, we, as in uh, the QAM leadership team, mm -hmm. just had a conversation about this last night and definitely excited to continue our book club this semester, which everybody, the whole Miss community is, is welcome to join. And there'll be information about that on my community, mm -hmm. on, through QAM's email listserv. Also, I'll just plug right now, we have an Instagram. It's called InstaQAM, <laughs> and QAM is Q. A A A M. Anyway, so book club's going to be happening. We're really excited about about that, and we're hoping to pair some of the themes, uh, like generally the themes of what we're reading, to potentially make that tie into um, queer film Fridays. Um, so doing a Netflix party, maybe we're reading a translated work, mm -hmm. and then we also watch a translated movie, or maybe we're reading a sci-fi book, and then we also watch like a queer sci-fi. <laughs> movie so that those are some some cool thoughts that came out of last night's conversation i was like yes i yeah. love i love a theme actually again i'm just gonna like shout out eric more so book club is gonna be super fun and then and, and queer film fridays we're hoping to have another valentine's day event mm -hmm. which will be in the works and then a couple more things um what else do we have going on um we really want to do something this spring to celebrate uh trans day of visibility mm. And so really excited about that. That's March 31st, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so haven't, haven't fully fleshed out what, what that's going to look like, but also trying, you know, keeping in mind, like just as a high level, you know, as a thought for throughout the semester, ways in which we can celebrate trans voices, celebrate people of color, queer people of color, like throughout the semester, we're hoping to keep that on the forefront of our events as we go. Yeah. As we go through the spring. Love that. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm just curious now, since you've mentioned it, uh, is there any sort of concrete example you've, you've got at the top of your head for what a, a queer sci-fi film that somebody could go explore right now? Queer sci-fi film? I wish. I wish I was more <laughs> steeped in, like, I'm just like, I've literally, I've just been such a sponge for queer media lately. Like, all mm. my partner and I have watched on the movies we've watched in the last couple weeks have all been queer films and I'm just like, I'm soaking that up, but, but nothing's coming to mind. Like hopefully whoever ends up listening to this, like send me an email if you all <laughs> have any recommendations for queer sci-fi because that sounds awesome. But um, one of the books, let me see if I, I'm literally always asking my partner the names of books and things and movies like, mm -hmm. and he's not next to me right now. Typically I would just be like, hey, what movie did we watch? Uh -huh. And he would know. But um, yeah, I would love to just like all the queer recommendations, send them, send them our way. Yeah. Well, and just to make sure you get one more chance to plug that, where are some of the ways that uh, somebody can find you and send you those things? Oh my gosh. Well, we will be active on my community, which mm -hmm. you can search QAM and it'll come up. We have an email list, which is really our primary, I would say, way of, mm -hmm. of getting information out. And to do that, you, to get on the email list, you could shoot me an email, lgarber, G-A-R-B-E-R, -E at middlebury.edu. And you can also DM us on Instagram at 
Insta Quam. Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on and, and chatting about Quam Quam. You're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Vice President of Academic Affairs and Dean of the Institute, Jeff Dayton Johnson, or JDJ, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Now, there is a whole host of things I would love to, to sit down and chat with you about. But what I'd love to chat with you about today is the, the story so far of the Institute's miss and the coronavirus pandemic that still rages on. So if we could just go all the way back to, you know, a little bit less than a year ago, uh, before I was even at the Institute, I'm just wondering, what was the beginning of the pandemic like, you know, from the top of the institution, from the top of the mountain there where you're at? What was it like having to pivot so quickly and, and make so many changes in the middle of an ongoing semester? It was... Um... It was not easy, and it relied on a lot of collaboration and a very cooperative spirit, particularly on the part of faculty. One interesting thing about the way it happened at Miss was that we had a kind of dress rehearsal in that um, we are a school with a large share of our students coming from abroad, and a large mm -hmm. number of our international students are from China. And for a variety of reasons, last year, um, the Lunar New Year was timed in such a way that some students and faculty could travel back to China for the holidays, so mm. to speak, and come back before the beginning of the spring semester. And right around this time last year, when we began the spring semester, Chinese faculty members were telling who had traveled to China said, do you have any idea what is about to happen? Because the news was much more alarming in China mm. than we were really getting here. And so there was uh, concern on the part of a lot of students returning from China, and it, whether they were Chinese or not, people who had been in China, that we needed to quarantine and isolate students. And so for the first two weeks of the spring semester, we offered this option that students could self-isolate, and we made sure that all classes with any student or faculty member who chose to self-isolate for two weeks was online. And that was a mess. Uh -huh. uh, it was not a, was not a terrible success, but it did mm -hmm. ensure the continuity of the beginning of the semester. And it got a lot of faculty up to speed on what it, what was involved in doing your courses on Zoom. So that when we had to make um, the, and, and we had just a couple days to do that in the middle of March, when we actually shut down the campus, mm -hmm. the County of Monterey uh, issued an emergency decree, a stay at home order, um, we had this little bit of experience um, to draw upon, and we took a week, the week of spring break, basically uh, for all faculty to rapidly switch their courses and for all students to rapidly switch their attendance to online. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of learning in real time and a lot of trial and error and adaptation, uh, but I think um, on balance, I'm really pleased with how well faculty and students alike were able to keep the Institute moving along at that time. Now, stepping back to a little more of a, a greater perspective on the, the story overall, are there any sort of main phases that you can identify that have happened throughout the last 10 months of, you know, this initial phase where you're scrambling to try and find a way to pivot, uh, like you were saying, to over summer when you're kind of regrouping and trying to find best practices, that sort of thing? Well, I think that you've begun to outline exactly what the phases were. So in the spring, 
um, there was a phase that was rapid learning and trial by doing, trial by error, or what should I say, learning by doing and trial mm -hmm. and error. And it one of the benefits, uh, one of the assets that we had at that point is that these were all classes that had begun in person. So there was already a kind of a community among students and faculty that they knew each other, they'd been in the room together, and they all made this transition. That was the characteristics of that phase. Then over the summer, we mobilized a massive effort um, with our D-Link office, which is the Digital Learning and Inquiry Group, which does a lot of curricular development, use of technology in the classroom. Mm -hmm. They put together this very uh, coherent upgrading program for faculty to learn how to design or reconfigure an in-person class as a remote instruction experience. And there was a lot more attention paid to the balance between synchronous and asynchronous, between the kinds of tools that work well and those that don't work as well. So that when we got the classes up and running in the fall semester, they had really benefited from a lot more planning mm -hmm. and foresight than was the case in the spring. That said, we had a lot of classes uh, in the fall that were um, for students who were starting under this format. And so we didn't have that kind of pre-established in-person community. We really had to build community online. And I think that was a real challenge. And that was one of the things that, that we discovered. We had worked out a lot of the curricular adjustments that needed to be made over the summer so that the classes were much more um, coherently planned but what, what faculty learned quite quickly and what students have told me um, across the board is that they, they needed to somehow create spaces and forums for community, mm -hmm. just hanging out on Zoom, um, not to talk about academic things necessarily, but just to uh, get to know each other, to support each other uh, during this time. Now, then what that brings us to, the, to this phase. I mean, where the third phase I would say is the spring semester my hope has been that during the spring semester, we might actually be able to open the doors to campus a little bit more widely. No classes will be offered on campus, but for students who are in the area, um, we've been looking at ways that they could actually access the campus, access campus services. Right now with the emergency decree that's in place, that's not possible, but we have the plans ready to go when the conditions allow that students can gather in indoor and outdoor spaces to work together on schoolwork or to, uh, to just visit. They can um, meet with their faculty members. They can meet with staff. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that in this third phase, this spring 2021 phase, uh, we will start to see that um, return to campus by students. It just depends on the, we're ready, but it mm -hmm. depends on the external conditions evolving. So that actually touches right on another question I had for you, which is that uh, what are some of the projects that have been going on on campus that some of which may have sounds like it's been completed already, um, like, you know, adding plexiglasses, Wi-Fi outdoors, those sorts of things. What sorts of um, projects have happened on campus to, to help ready the opening? There's a lot of plexiglass on campus. <laughs> I can tell you. I mean, when I hear reports about the plexiglass installation, I sometimes suspect that if you are on campus and you see another person, no matter where you are, there is likely to be plexiglass between you. So, that is a good example of the kind of physical changes to the campus that need to be made. A lot of it is, uh, among other physical changes that need to be made, a lot of attention to ventilation. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things that we've learned over time looking at other institutions, other types of workplaces, is that 
to have people indoors, you have to have really good ventilation. There's technical stuff about the ventilation systems. And so over the uh, latter part of the fall semester, we had we had a couple of contractors come in who do jobs that I didn't even know existed. One is an industrial hygienist um, and another is an engineer. And they they looked at how the air was, well, they did air testing. And then they looked at the actual uh, physical characteristics of the ventilation. This is because you know, one of the things that is notable about this virus is that one of the worst things you can do is sit indoors with someone and talk to them for mm -hmm. an hour. And so mm -hmm. we need to make it as safe as possible with masks, with physical distancing, and with the ventilation of the rooms. We did a space audit of all of the classrooms to figure out um, how many people could occupy every one of our classrooms given these, these kinds of constraints. That's all ready to go. We've updated our, our room scheduling and we've put into uh, place some processes whereby students or others, if they want to access the campus, they'll have to, there, there's a sign-up procedure, there's a, a short training uh, video that, that most of you will probably have to watch. There's a health pledge that faculty, staff, and students will need to pay attention to. Um, there are lanyards that we're going to ask people to wear so that you're readily identifiable as someone who's supposed to be on campus. Mm. I think we've worked out most of the kinks. It's just a matter of when uh, it will be safe to reopen the campus uh, a little bit more. The other big part though that we're, we're planning for now is what is going to be involved in having some classes on campus. It's our hope that, and we're planning for it, that in the fall we will have some in-person classes. It's my expectation that um, we will not be 100% online and we will not be 100% in person. We're gonna be mm -hmm. somewhere in between and we're trying to be ready for different scenarios, in, mostly online, mostly in person, how to accommodate students who don't want or cannot come to campus mm -hmm. uh, and wanna remain online, how to accommodate classes that might be split between uh, students who are here and students who are not. So there's a lot of academic planning as well that we're doing, but we're hoping that um, with a few uh, trials and pilot experiences, maybe over the summer, we'll get ready um, to have to make that step, which is have classes return to campus in the fall, even if everybody's not vaccinated, even if we mm -hmm. haven't um, solved all of these public health problems, uh, which may indeed be the case. Now, I I believe it was Monday, meaning the 25th of January, that. Um, Newsom lifted the stay-at-home order across the state, and that put Monterey County back into the purple tier. Um, what is the indicator that Miss is waiting for to be able to start opening up places again? The purple tier. Um, uh, the purple tier. I have not reread the purple tier since the the latest uh, mm -hmm. change in the rules by the governor. But when they first established the color tier systems, the purple tier basically precluded any indoor educational experience in uh, higher ed. Mm -hmm. So in the purple tier, uh, as I said, unless it's been modified, and it may have, it would be impossible for us to have indoor activities at, at, at the campus. There are, in my reading of, uh, of the purple tier, there are some possibilities for doing some things outdoors, which is one of the things we're looking at. I don't know if you're in Monterey today, today would not be a good day <laughs> to do things outdoors. And that's one of the uh, we're having severe winter weather for those listeners at home. And, uh, you know, February and March, which would be the first couple months of the semester, are the coldest and rainiest months in Monterey. So 
how useful that is, I don't know, but we're looking at the use of outdoor space because that may be the first place that we could actually have people come back to campus. Okay. Now I have two more major areas of, of questioning that I wanted to cover. Yeah. I was wondering if given hindsight, there is anything you wish you had done differently throughout the course of this. And this could be some macro level, like, well, if we had known masks were important back in January, I wish we would have made everybody use them, something like that, or something micro like, well, this particular decision ended up affecting international students much more, and I wish we had had that sort of foresight to, to see that and, and maneuver around that. You know, that's, that's a really good question, Max. I think there certainly are a lot of things where I look back and say that was really frustrating um, that, 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 that this doesn't get quite directly to your question, but there was so much uncertainty in particular about the possibilities for international students and mm -hmm. so many threatened rules and regulations that were then pulled at the last moment, which caused an enormous amount of anxiety and stress for international students who were here or for those who were abroad but wanted to come here. Um, there remains a lot of uncertainty for international students who were hoping that um, with new administration in place, there'll be some stability in the guidance that we get. I think um, I haven't really uh, been able to reflect on what could have gone more smoothly. It's still happening. It's it's still happening, and you know, in addition to all of the the coronavirus related factors that we've been discussing. We've had the wildfires, we had uh, students and employees who were affected by the wildfires um, in the state of California. We had the summer of protest following the murder of George Floyd, which was felt acutely um, by our campus community. And we had uh, the economic downturn that accompanied the coronavirus. So there were, uh, and then of course we had uh, an attempted insurrection at the U.S. Capitol just mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. It's been so many things in the external environment which have directly touched our students in one way or another, and um, so much stress. I, I think I, I suspect that when I've had time to reflect on this, what I'm going to wish we had um, more abundantly is uh, rapid response kind of um, support for students in such a stress, stressful time and with so much anxiety. Uh, we do have a lot of resources for uh, mental health, for wellness, for uh, counseling and support, both academic and personal. Um, I think we need to be able to, to roll it out immediately and, and visibly and on multiple platforms because some students might have no power or they might be out of their house because of fire, et cetera. So um, when so many things happen at once, um, we need to be able to provide the support um, that students really require. And, and if they all happen at once again, I hope we'll do that uh, even more efficiently. Yeah, I think as you touched on in the beginning there, I mean, if there's one word, well, there's plenty of words you could attribute to 2020, but uncertainty is, is definitely yeah. one of the big ones. And the fact that so many of these, these events, these movements all piled onto each other one after another, um, really, yeah, I mean, really will end up characterizing the whole year. It, it can't be just the pandemic. There's so much that happened that we can't, um, we can't let ourselves forget because there was this other bigger thing happening, maybe. That's right. That's right. So the, the last question I had regarding 
pandemic responses. I wanted to know, first off, it's my understanding we have a COVID response team, correct? We have, uh, um, I don't have a team that's called the COVID response team, but we do have a group led by Barbara Burke in my office mm-hmm. with people from different parts, from, from the facilities team, from human resources, from student services, uh, that, that may be what you're referring to. Yes. And they've yeah. been a kind of um, focal point for any inquiries that come from students or from faculty and staff about getting into their office, if that's what they want, or getting access to information, whether it's from the county or uh, from other, other areas. And they've been in charge of, of planning the return to campus that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. All of this is in this, uh, this uh, return, what we've been calling the return to campus team. So with either the return to campus team, uh, within faculty and staff, within students, within all of them, as many as you'd like to point out, what are some of the the things you've seen done that have, you know, made you most proud, I guess is the best way to put it, of, you know, the achievements that, that this team is making, that the faculty and staff are making, that students do you know, amidst everything going on that you are, you know, happy to see happen as, as everybody kind of collectively responds to this, this new environment we've been in. There's a lot of examples of that. I think um, the, the team that we're talking about has done really good work behind the scenes and um, has helped clarify things for, for faculty and students and, and, and for employees in the community more generally. Um, And, and has been able to digest a lot of information from a lot of sources and help people out. So that, that's certainly really good work and that's ongoing and, and their work is gonna help us come back one way or another to campus in the fall is my hope. The, um, the faculty uh, mobilized in such a way uh, to get their classes online and then to improve their classes in the spring that was, that was very inspirational. And there was a lot of faculty conversations that I was part of where faculty members said, you know, this has really forced me because I have to totally reconfigure the class. Mm-hmm. It has really forced me to figure out what am I trying to achieve in today's class? What am I trying to achieve? What are the learning outcomes in this particular segment of the course? And so it's not just that we've put things in, onto Zoom and onto Canvas and all the other tools that we're using, but um, it's forced us to really refresh and rethink and update um, the design of the courses. And so that's been a very positive byproduct of this. Uh, our D-Link office has been heroic in uh, training and working with faculty and with students uh, to get those classes uh, into good shape for the remote format. And the students, I think, um, have really been able to reconstitute a kind of student society, even though we're, you know, students are spread all over the world. Students have done a lot of experimentation with ways of, of bringing uh, students together in a way that, given that they can't do so physically, I think Miss Radio is an example of that, right? I mean, it's, it's meant to be a way to connect students to each other. It's not the same as being on campus. It's not the same as all being in the same place, but, um, but I think it's been a remarkable substitute uh, for for a lot of, of students who otherwise feel pretty isolated. And so uh, I think students have been at the front line of fighting back against that sense of isolation that, that all of us feel in confinement. So, you know, just, I, I think there's been a lot of organization and a lot of 
policies which have tried to uh, adapt us to this situation. And some of those have worked well, uh, some have not. But, but it's also been this kind of groundswell of grassroots, let's get our classes organized, let's get our student life organized to get through this, this uh, bizarre experience that is still very much happening. Absolutely. Now, to finish up, I just wanted to know if there was any, um, any particular resources that you wanted to point out related to the pandemic um, or not, I suppose, but anything you'd like students to, to know about, like who to reach out to if, they, if they're having issues with this, that, the other thing. Well, we do have a, a COVID resources page on the website, and um, a lot of information was put there early on, and we've been adding to it incrementally since. But a lot of the basic resources which are available to students are there, um, and and most students are probably aware of these resources mm -hmm. uh, through Ashley Arocha in the in the student services office. There's access to a lot of uh, resources which uh, can help you with with your well-being, with your wellness, um, with any kind of uh, concern that you may have about stress and anxiety. And there's a lot of that. Um, your academic advisor, for a lot of people that's in CACS, for some programs, it's among the faculty of your program, uh, is a great resource. And you can talk about just about anything um, that has to do with your academic progress and they can help you troubleshoot uh, whatever problems you may be happen having. We're still trying to figure out how people can get tests, for example. Mm -hmm. um, we're still trying to figure out how people can get vaccinations. And, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that as time goes on, we'll learn more about that. But we do have links to the County Department of Health, which is the, the first stop in answering questions like that. And, and uh, Department of, you know, the, today I sent out a note to the faculty and staff about the Monterey County Office of Emergency Services, which will tell you what roads are being closed because of flooding, mm -hmm. what areas might be evacuated because of right. severe uh, weather storms. So there's always, uh, there are some resources like that, which in, in natural disasters are, are useful to look to as well. So, um, you know, if you go, to, and I think actually, if you go to our, our webpage right at the top, there's a banner that says uh, COVID-19 resources. And yes. there's a lot of stuff there that um, that is pretty easy to find. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that concludes all of the, the things I wanted to ask you about today. So, JDJ, thank you so much for joining me and for coming on to our first episode of Misinformed. Thank you so much, Max. And, uh, and a big hello to all our listeners out there <laughs> at Miss Radio. Well, there you have it, everybody. The first ever episode of Misinformed. I do want to say one final thank you to the guests who joined me on today's episode Iko, lawrence jdj i am so grateful they took the time to chat with me for this series premiere and i also want to say a huge thank you to you for listening and, and making it this far uh, i think this is the time where i'm also supposed to mention that none of the opinions expressed in this podcast reflect those of the institute officially uh, and also that i don't I don't have the rights to this song um, the details of which we will, we will put in the description of this episode. Stay tuned for the next episode coming out February 12th. And until then, have a wonderful start to your spring semester.